0: Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Ramadan Mubarak to you and yours. This Ramadan, as we all gather to share a meal with our loved ones, we need to remember those in Gaza who are also gathering to share a meal with so many who aren't there that were just there a year ago. Since October the 7th, the Human Development Fund has assisted over 200,000 people in Gaza, providing them with essential aid such as food baskets, water, hot meals, winter items, shelter, hygiene kits, and baby formula. Your generous contributions are making a significant impact, especially in Rafah. Let's sustain this momentum and continue providing crucial support during this sacred and blessed month. Please visit hdfund.org slash alam. That's hdfund.org slash Qalam, Q-A-L-A-M, to learn more about our global reach this Ramadan and choose where you'd like to direct your support during this blessed month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month a time of mercy, solace, acceptance, and triumph for the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And may Allah continue to use all of us as a means and never replace us. Amin. Ya Rabbil Alamin. You're listening to Kalam Institute's podcast series, Sira, Life of the Prophet by Sheikh Abdul Nasir Jangda. Visit us on the web at kalaminstitute.org or find us on Facebook at slash Kalam Institute. بسم الله والحمد الله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته So continuing with our class, our series on Asiratun nabawiyah the prophetic biography. In the previous uh, sessions we've been talking about the immediate aftermath um, or rather the reintegration back into society after the three years of boycott and the 3 years of isolation that the prophet of allah sallallahu alaihi sallam, the the community of the believers and also the family members of the prophet sallallahu who had not accepted islam all of them collectively were put through this period of isolation ostracization and boycott and how they basically were now dealing with coming back into society and reacclimating to normal uh life and we talked about some of the incidents or some of the experiences of that, of that period and of that time. One of the very interesting things that's happened now, in, in fact, in the previous session, we talked about how there was this, um, sympathy that was created, uh, amongst many of the non-believing segments of the Meccan community because of what they had gone through. Secondly, we also talked about how there were many people who did not believe, did not accept the message of the Prophet Wasallam, but were unable to deny, they could not deny the character of the Prophet ﷺ, the character of people like Abu Bakr as-Siddiq Anhu and other believers, and how there were some leaders even of the opposition of Quraysh who were granting protection and were personally defending um, you know, people like Abu Bakr Anhu and other uh, great noble believers of that period and of that time. One of the other um, very interesting um, effects of that little time period in between, was that the the Prophet of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam did not lose any of his determination, he did not lose any of his determination or his resolve when it came to preaching and teaching the message of Islam. Rather the Prophet ﷺ was just as motivated as ever, and he was at all times constantly concerned about sharing the message of Islam, sharing the truth with people, with a diverse group of people, of all different types of backgrounds. So basically, after seven years, or rather excuse me, after ten years, the first seven years of Nubuwwah prophethood, three years of more private preaching, then followed by four years of public preaching, followed by three years of boycott and isolation, and being ostracized by society and community. After ten years of great hardship, non-stop preaching and teaching of the message, the Prophet ﷺ still had no quit in him. The Prophet ﷺ was just as determined as ever, and he was just as strong as he was on the very first day of preaching and teaching a message. And the Prophet ﷺ didn't take a moment's leave or rest from the mission and the purpose of his life, his his message, and his nubuwa, his prophethood. But the Prophet ﷺ kept going and there's some very interesting beautiful stories that demonstrates um stories that demonstrate how the prophet sallallahu was so determined and the prophet sallallahu was very resourceful so the prophet sallallahu was very determined very motivated that is the first necessary requirement of a dai That when somebody is set out on the mission and the goal, the objective of sharing the truth of Islam with mankind, with humanity, the first quality, the first condition is a person, must first and foremost, this goes without saying, but it needs to be stated for us, but for the Prophet ﷺ it goes without saying, there needs to be full conviction, yaqeen in what I am talking about, what I am teaching, what I am preaching, this is the truth. This is the absolute unequivocal truth and that first element needs to be there again like i said for Muhammad rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wa sallam may allah's peace and blessings be showered upon him there's no there's this doesn't even have to be stated or said but for us we need to understand that that the prophet sallallahu alaihi convictions and if we don't get time in this week um next week we'll be talking a story that more in detail talks about those convictions of the prophet sallallahu alaihi so the first thing is yaqeen that conviction needs to be there that this is the truth Number two, a da'i, a preacher of the religion must be very motivated and driven. Must be motivated, must be driven, must be passionate about the teaching and the preaching of this message. And that's very, very important. And one thing I will say that different people have different personalities. We'll talk a little bit more about tact, how to go about in preaching the message, that's the next point I'm going to make. So there will be some context to motivation and passion. But I will say one thing at the same time, that a lot of times I'll use myself as an example. If I am not as motivated or as driven about da'wah, about you know Islam, about uh, teaching and preaching, as maybe my brother or my sister may be, then a lot of times what we end up doing is, just because I'm maybe not as motivated as they are, instead of being inspired by them, looking up to them, trying to learn a lesson from them, trying to draw uh, from their passion and their motivation, and become inspired, what we end up doing is a lot of times we become very negative. We find faults, we criticize, we roll our eyes, we call them annoying and you know just just don't know when to stop we we have these type of uh, negative reactions negative comments we make derogatory statements about people because maybe we don't have that same level of motivation and drive that's nothing wrong with the person that just means i have i have somebody that i should be inspired by i have somebody that is more driven more motivated than i am and i should be inspired by that that's how the sahaba radiAllahu ta'ala anhum were that when they looked at a man like Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu, somebody who accepted Islam, and by the, by the evening, by that same night, he had brought four people to accept Islam. On the following day, he brought three more people to accept Islam. In the first day and a half that he was Muslim, seven people accepted Islam. So when the Sahaba looked at a man like Abu Bakr, they didn't think he was obnoxious. In fact, Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu was that one individual. Of course, there was great love and compassion and brotherhood amongst the Sahaba radiallahu anhu. But Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu was just that one person that was just beloved by everyone. He was loved by everyone. Everyone loved Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Seeing him brought a smile to people's faces. The Prophet ﷺ says about him, ummati bi ummati Abu Bakr." That the most merciful of my ummah towards my ummah is Abu Bakr. Arhamu ummati bi ummati. The most merciful person from my ummah towards the other members of this ummah is none other than Abu Bakr. Radiallahu anhu, may Allah be pleased with him. So, the first thing is that we talked about conviction. The second point is being motivated, being driven, and being passionate. And that's very, very important. And the Prophet embodied that quality. Hari'suna (laughs) alaikum. Hari'suna alaikum. Allah describes the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's motivation and drive and passion for sharing the truth with humanity by using the word, word al-hirs. Hirs in the Arabic language is a very specific word. And more often than not, in its literal linguistic usage, it is used for, um, it's to desire something to chase after something, to want to and to work towards achieving and acquiring something. And primarily, this word is used for material things. This word is used for material things. Things of material value. Like hirsul mal. To seek, to be driven, to be motivated, and to seek out, to acquire money. But that same word Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses it figuratively here. Meaning, just like we are motivated for money, for influence, for power, fame, notoriety, just like we seek these things, we chase after these things, we try to acquire these things, the Prophet was even more driven and motivated for the well-being of humanity. alaikum. <laughs> Allah says he was worried about you all. He was fully invested into Yaw's well being. Hadisun alaikum. And so the Prophet was very driven and very motivated, very passionate. That's the second quality of a da'i that we learned from the Prophet from studying his example. The third example that's presented here and what we're going to study, the stories that we're going to talk about today, is that the Prophet of Allah, Muhammad Rasulullah, was extreme, extremely tactful when things are appropriate, what is appropriate, how it's appropriate. He, he, he was very very tactful in his approach of sharing the message of, of Islam with people. And that's a, the that's a third thing that I was alluding to earlier. That it is possible that somebody might start to seem a little abrasive in their method of preaching and teaching, but possibly part of the reason behind that and that person needs to be able to reflect that, you know, if, if people... There's one thing for people to not agree or accept your message, that's in the hands of Allah. But if people are finding you abrasive, in the way that you approach people, talk to people, preach people, teach people, then maybe you need to go and revisit the example of the Prophet ﷺ, and be able to learn some tact, some, some strategy. Appropriateness from the Prophet. Who are you talking to? The in Persian the, the scholars of old, the, the senior scholars, they would call this Mardum Shunasi. To know who you're talking to. They would call it Moka Shunasi. To know when and what where you're speaking, what is the what are the circumstances? Where are you right now? What is the time? What is the situation? Who are you talking to? And then taking all these factors into consideration, having a very appropriate message for that person at that place, at that time, taking consideration, uh, with consideration for circumstances, and for your own, you know, restrictions and limitations as well. And preaching the message from that particular angle. And so when we understand this, these three primary factors that need to go, that need to be considered when giving da'wah, when preaching, teaching Islam, having full convictions, being very motivated, driven, not, not losing hope, not ever giving up. Not giving up easily. Not giving up at all. And then number three, being very appropriate and tactful, having some sort of strategy to how you're going to go about in preaching or teaching Islam. Now let's go ahead and take a look at this one story that is placed the timeline of the story, the placement of time of the story is at this post-boycott era. The post-boycott post period. So this is probably around the 10th year of prophethood of Nubuwa. The 10th year of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi preaching and teaching the message of Islam. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is about 50 years old. At this time, he's 50 years old. And so this is where this story is placed. There was a very famous, a, a very famous man, um, who was from Banu Abd Munaf, so that means he was a distant relative, if you will, he was a, a, a tribesman of the Prophet ﷺ, he belonged to the same tribe as Muhammad Rasulullah ﷺ, and his name was Rukana. Now the thing about Rukana was that he was very very well known as being Ashaddu Quraysh. He was known as the strongest man in Quraysh. You know they have the, the strong, world's strongest man competition? they're they're not even human beings, they don't even look like human beings. They're usually like six, eight, and about as wide as this table. And they like lift cars. In the competition, they actually lift cars. So like strongest man competitions. So this was the strongest man of Quraysh. This was the strongest man of Quraysh. And he was a bit of a celebrity in Mecca. Um, because of these, when they would have these fairs and carnivals and, you know, the season of Hajj, and they would have the bazaar of, um, they would have the, uh, uh, I forget the name of the exact place, but they would have these bazaars right outside of Mecca, um, where, you know, they would, they would set up these annual bazaars. Uh, Expos, that's a good word for it in English. They would have like these annual expos, and people would bring goods, and there would be poets, you know, demonstrating their, their latest, greatest poetry that they had written. And this whole scene would be created. Rukana would basically show up there, and Rukana would do some display of strength at that time. You know, he would lift some things, and wrestle, you know, five people at once, and he would do all of these things, and it was a big show. So he was a bit of a celebrity. Um, back in those days of Mecca. So, it said that the Prophet of Allah sallallahu wa kind of ran into him. He saw him, um, in one of the, you know, um, on one of the outskirts, the outerlying areas of Mecca. So this is where a lot of times the bazaars would be set up. So the Prophet ﷺ must have gone on there on some errand, and he ran into Rukana. And the Prophet ﷺ said to him, "Rukana must have seen the Prophet ﷺ, and the Prophet saw him, see him, but yet not, not not acknowledge his presence." So the Prophet ﷺ said, "Ya Rukana, ala ta wa taqbal ma adhukka He said, "Ya Rukana, don't you have any consciousness of God?" And that you would accept what I invite you to? He says, So Rukana said, Ya Muhammad, if I know that what you're saying is the truth, why wouldn't I follow you? Why wouldn't I follow you? So, one of the narrations and um ibn kathir Rahmaullah ta'ala kind of reconciles some of these different narrations some of the narrations that he mentions here um mention that actually it was rukana who challenged the prophet sallallahu but ibn kathir Rahmaullah ta'ala says that the narration that he uh feels is more uh, authentic and appropriate based on the circumstances is that the, actually the Prophet ﷺ is the one who actually presents the... the uh, presents the challenge of wrestling. So the Prophet ﷺ says, أَفَرَأَيْتَ insaraatuka." He says, what do you think about if I'm able to beat you in wrestling? If I'm able to pin you down? What do you think about that? And so again we see the strategy and the tact of Rasulullah ﷺ that the Prophet ﷺ is talking to somebody very physically gifted. He's a wrestler, that's what he's known for, that's what he does, that's how he makes his living, that's that's it, that's his world. And so when he, the Prophet ﷺ doesn't back away from giving him da'wah, but when he says, hey, how do I know what you're talking about is the truth? The Prophet Wasallam doesn't say, Alhamdulillah, لله ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل. even though there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But the Prophet of Allah doesn't start just giving him a lecture. But rather the Prophet Wasallam says, what if we wrestle? What if we engage in some physical activity? What do you think about that? So obviously, Rukana, that being pretty much what he does, that pretty much being what he does and also what he enjoys, and also he's very confident. Because this is like challenging, you know, I, I'm not going to use this, this is like challenging Dirk Nowitzki on, to one on one. We have to use Dirk Nowitzki as an example. This is Dallas, okay? So this is like challenging Dirk Nowitzki to one on one, like I'll play you basketball. So of course he's going to be like, all right, sure, short Pakistani man, right? <laughs> He'll be quite happy. So he's like, all right, let's go, Bismillah. So similarly, Rukhana's like, all right, this is that's pretty much what I do. He's probably of He even says, he says, Fakum. حَتَّى أُصَارِعَكَ he says um no excuse, so he says in saratuka annama حَقْ he says what if i beat you in wrestling then will you understand that what i'm saying is the truth So Rukana says Qum. he says na'am he says yes i'm ready to go absolutely if you beat me i will acknowledge that what you're saying is the truth so the prophet sallallahu tells him حَتَّى usari'aka the prophet sallallahu says alright, then let's go Stand up, I'm talking about wrestling, why are you still talking to me? Aren't we talking about wrestling? Then let's wrestle. And so the narration goes on to say that, فَقَامَرُوا كَانَ إِلَيْهِ fasaraahu. It's very interesting, this detailed narration, this is, the, this is the benefit, this is a very classic story. This is a story maybe we heard when we were children. But when we get to sit down and read the story, this is narrated by Ibn Ishaq, you get to see the the nuances of the story. So, فَقَامَ رُكَانَ إلَيْهِ فَصَرَعَهُ So, Rukana stood up, got in his stance, and basically tried to started to wrestle the Prophet ﷺ. فَلَمَّا بَطَشَ بِهِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ أضجعه لَا يَمْلِكُ مِنْ نفسه شَيْئًا. The narration says that the Prophet ﷺ grabbed him, slammed him. So just try to get the mental image of me dunking over Dirk Nowitzki. It's, it's, it's preposterous. Right? The Prophet picks up this mountain of a man and slams him, who slams him on his back. So I don't know it, how many of you all have seen you know, WWF and WWE. Right? If you have me, Allah forgive you. Astaghfirullah. But if, if those, those men are not covering their awrah, alright? So, but if, if, if you ever watched like wrestling, like this is talking about picking up somebody and abjahu, when you slam them on their back. Like you pick somebody up and you slam them so that the person's flat on their back. So the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alaihi does this to Rukana. La يَمْلِكُ شَيْءٍ And naturally, if you get slammed on your back, the wind gets knocked out of you. You're a little dazed, and so for a couple of seconds, you're just, you're kind of dazed, you can't get back up. And then on top of that, you got to understand, Rukana has never, he even says in the narration, we'll we'll read it, he he says to the Prophet you know, I've never, forget about being slammed, I've never been beaten. And so being body slammed is something that is an alien experience to me. Like it's a first time experience. I, I didn't even know what this felt like. So he's so dazed that layamlikum مِن نَفْسِهِ شيء and that he's not even able to get back up. He's just kinda like out of it. And the Prophet is kinda like pinning him down. He's just sitting on top of him. He's got him pinned down. And so after a couple of seconds, Rukana kinda realizes what happened. He says, Udya Muhammad. He goes, Let's go again. Meaning, like, hey, you kind of caught me off guard the first time. I didn't realize, you know, you were you were hustling me. You were hustling me. I didn't realize that. So why don't we go again? فَعَادَ فَصَرَعَهُ So they wrestled again, in the process and the Prophet ﷺ picked him up and slammed him and pinned him down again. فَقَالَ Ya Muhammad. He says to the Prophet ﷺ, يَا مُحَمَّدَ وَاللَّهِ Wallahi ajab, he's on the ground, pinned down. And he says, Wallahi, this is the most bizarre thing that has ever happened to me in my entire life. أتصرعني? He says, you are you keep beating me. You keep beating me. And he says, إِن أَن أُرِيكَهُ أَن أُرِيكَهُ إِن He says, What is even more bizarre than that? What is even more amazing than that, is if I show you something, and I will show you something even more amazing than that, if you will be conscious of Allah, and you will follow what I'm telling you to follow. Like you will believe in God, you will fear God, and you will listen to what I have to tell you, share with you. I will show you something even more amazing than me slamming you twice. So at this point he's really got no out. So he says, "Mahua, what is that?" So the Prophet of Allah, sallallahu Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu says to him at this time. He says, "Aduuka tara, He says, "You see that tree over there at a distance? I will call that tree to me, and that tree will." Walk towards me, will move towards me. I can show you that. And he says, Uduha. He goes, Do it. Fada'aha. And the Prophet called the tree that, as the Messenger of Allah, by the command of Allah, I ask you to come to me. hatta waqafat rasulillahi sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And that tree moved from its spot and came and stood right in front of the Prophet ﷺ. There are multiple stories of this. The Prophet of Allah ﷺ, when he visited Mecca back, at the time of uh, Fath'u Mecca, it's mentioned in the narration that the Prophet ﷺ was with some of the Sahaba, and he walked by kind of like a big rock, a boulder that had kind of always just been there. You know by the side of the road, it's Mecca, it's a mountainous region. So there's this big boulder that I've just always been there. And the Prophet walked by and he kind of stopped and looked over at the rock and he told the Sahaba رضي الله that I remember the days even before Nubuwa, the days before Hira, the days before Iqra. That when I used to walk by this rock, it used to say salam to me. And I used to keep walking because I didn't know what to make of that. So I would keep walking. So this is a reality. The all, the whole creation of Allah recognizes. The, Allah tells us in the Quran, "Wa immin Shay illa Yusabbihu bihamdihi, wa Allah says that each and every single thing, and Allah uses the word Shay, that that uh, uh, That the the word Shay is for intelligent sentient beings and for inanimate objects. The word shay is for anything and everything. Allah says that every single thing in the creation of God praises and glorifies and praises Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their Lord and their Master. But Allah says, you are unable to comprehend and understand. That's why Allah doesn't say you don't hear, because we do hear some of the praises of the creation of Allah. And that's why the scholars mentioned that many things uh, from the sounds that animals make to some of the sounds that even things that might seem like inanimate objects to us. Like the beauty and the magnificent of Allah's creation. The thunder, the sound of water, the sound of streams and rain and trees blowing in the wind. That we don't comprehend the fact that they are praising and glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So there's nothing limiting or restricting or taking away from the fact that that same creation of Allah also recognized the Messenger of Allah, Muhammad Rasulullah And attested to his prophethood. And the fact that he is a Messenger of God. So this tree comes and stands before the Prophet ﷺ. And then the Prophet says, irji'i إِلَى مَكَانِكَ Then the Prophet ﷺ said, now you return back to your place. فَرَجَعَتِ إِلَى مَكَانِهَا and then the tree returned back to its place. The tree returned back to its place. What happened after this? Ibn Kathir Allahu ta'ala presents us two stories. He presents two stories to us. Um, Two narrations, excuse me, two narrations. One of the narrations mentions that Rukana sees this, doesn't say anything, and he goes to his people, his tribe, his family, and he says ya bani abd munaf sahiru bi sahibikum ahl al-ard that everything existing on the face of the earth has now been enchanted by the magic of this man ma ashara minhu qattu. i've never seen a greater magician than him thumma bil ladhi ra'a wal sana'a then he told everybody about what he saw and what the prophet did that is one narration Ibn Kathir rahimahullah ta'ala however says that um Imam At-Tirmidhi Imam At-Tirmidhi the great scholar of hadith actually says about this particular narration that ends in this fashion with Rukana the wrestler not believing not accepting iman and in fact going back to his people and saying that he's a magician and his magic is more powerful than anything i've ever seen Ibn uh uh Imam At-Tirmidhi rahimahullah says that this narration does not authenticate fully it is, this, this is not an authentic narration. But there are multiple objections that Imam Tirmidhi, Ta'ala, has to this particular narration. So rather, instead of that, Ibn Kathir, Rahmaullah, brings another narration, which is authenticated through multiple sources, and he says that this is the actual, more authentic and appropriate ending of this particular story, that they actually wrestled three times, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam body slammed him three times, at the end of three times, then and, and the narration actually even mentions that Rukana, the Prophet ﷺ did not engage in the bet, but Rukana kept saying, when the Prophet ﷺ first told him that if I beat you, then you'll listen to what I have to say, and Rukana said, yeah, and on top of that I'll give you a hundred sheep. Like I'll have, give you a hundred goats. And the Prophet ﷺ said, I don't need your goats, I don't need your money. But he said, no, I'll give you a hundred goats. Like saying like, let's, let's play one on one to ten and I'll spot you nine points. So Rukhana was very cocky, he was very arrogant. And what happens is the second time when the Prophet challenges him again, then Rukhana says, Yeah, I'll listen to you if you beat me, and a hundred more goats. And the third time he says, A hundred more goats. So basically, he owed the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, had that type of gambling been permissible, he would have owed the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam 300 goats, but Muhammad al-Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, even though the ayat about the prohibition of gambling did not come down, yet this was still a very unethical, immoral practice that was understood by the noble people of that time to be unethical and immoral, the, to the extent that it says Muhammad al-Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Muhammad ibn Abdullah, Abu Bakr, As-Siddiq, and Uthman ibn Affan, uh rahman bin Auf, people of this caliber and this character, were known, they had a reputation that these people had not ever drank alcohol, they had never committed fornication or adultery, and these people had never gambled. They did not gamble. So it was still understood to be an immoral practice and noble people, people of dignity and honor did not gamble. So the Prophet ﷺ told him, no, 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 I will not accept uh, whatever bet that you put on the fight. All I want you to do is listen to the message I have to say. And then that story transpired where the Prophet ﷺ told him, because Rukana is beside himself. He's baffled. He's like, I don't understand what's going on. This is the most unbelievable thing that's ever occurred in my life. That you beat me not once but three times. I don't understand. And the Prophet said, let me show you something more amazing than that, Rukana. And then he called the tree, and the tree came and he returned, told the tree to return back to its place. And the tree by the command and the will of Allah returned back to its place. And then the Prophet ﷺ told him about Islam. And at the end of that Rukana, he says to the Prophet of Allah wasallam, he says, Ya Muhammad ما وضع ظهري إلى الأرض أحد قبلك. Nobody has ever put my back to the ground. Nobody has ever put my back to the ground. And he says, to be very honest with you, when I first walked across you in the marketplace, when you stopped me and started to talk to me, you saw me kind of, you know, give you the cold shoulder. You saw me give you the cold shoulder. Like I said, Rukhana really didn't acknowledge the presence of the Prophet. Why? Because he says, He says, Because there's nobody on the face of this earth that I hate more than I hate you. I dislike you. I don't like what you talk about. I don't like what you stand for. I don't like what I hear about you. I don't like you know these people that keep company with you. I just I don't, don't like you. But he says. What I've seen, what I've experienced today, leads me to the undeniable fact and truth of Wa an ashadu Allah Allāh. But right now, standing right here, that's all past, that's all history, I bear witness, I give testimony to the fact that there's absolutely nothing, no one worthy of worship except for Allah, and that you are the Messenger of God. فَقَامَ عَنْهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم وَرَدَّ عَلَيْهِ, عليه غَنَمَهُ The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم said, Alright, Rukana, congratulations, Mubarak. Now go about your way before I body slam you again. <laughs> now, now, now get going. And then he said, now, And you keep your goats. You keep your goats. I don't want these things. This is, this is not why I came to talk to you. And so we see the tact of the Prophet ﷺ. And to be very, very honest with you, to be very honest, I have like a collection of narrations about this particular incident from multiple different sources of the seerah all in front of me. And not a single narration actually mentions. Because there's a lot of detail in the narrations. It mentions how the Prophet ﷺ slammed him, how many times he slammed him, the whole conversation between them. Not Not even in one of the narrations that it actually mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ like really sat down and gave him a lecture about Islam. But he understood people. And he dealt with people as people. He realized that they're human beings. They have personalities. And he approached each person as appropriate to that person and their personality. That was Muhammad Rasulullah That there are some things that are consistent in da'wah. We talk about the oneness of God, we use the Qur'an as much as we can. We have to have good character. But at the same time, we have to also understand that da'wah isn't this one size fits all type of deal. But if we are meant to be effective, if we want to be effective da'is, du'at, we want to be effective in preaching and teaching the message of Islam, we have to first and foremost live amongst people. We have to ourselves um, interact with people, understand people, and then approach people through the best means possible. And we see the Prophet here. Who can give a better lecture than Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu Whose lecture would you rather hear than Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu The people who are the Sahaba, the, true, the actual believers, the Sahabatul Kiram radiallahu anhum, talk about a day, Umar ibn Khattab, even though this is Medinan, this is around the Medinan era, the Medinan period, where then they had this, they had enough training and ability and development of Iman to where they were ready for learning at that level. But take into consideration, the, the Umar ibn Khattab radiAllahu Anhu says the Prophet started talking after Fajr and he spoke all the way to Dhuhr. And we didn't, not a single person moved from their place. And then we prayed Dhuhr and he talked from Dhuhr to Asr. Not a single person moved. Then he talked from Asr to Maghrib, not a single person moved. And he spoke from Maghrib to Isha. And not a single person could just pull themselves, uh, themselves away from that gathering until finally after Aisha he said everybody go i mean so who could speak better than prophet sallallahu Wasallam? but even then the prophet Wasallam understands okay who is this person where is this person coming from what's the personality of this person how to best approach this person he's motivated, he has full conviction think about the type of convictions you need to take on the most strongest most the strongest most powerful man amongst your people you got to really believe He's very motivated, he doesn't back down from it, oh, he looks like he doesn't want to talk to me. The Prophet is driven and motivated. But then he's very tactful. He has strategy, appropriateness. And that's the da'wah of the Prophet I remember one time uh, with one of my teachers, who's very very well known for um, teaching and preaching throughout you know, uh, Pakistan and uh, even other parts of uh, the world, and he's traveled quite far and wide. Uh, جميع, may Allah bless him and preserve him. I, I remember being with him, traveling with him, and we went to go visit um, an individual. This was a man, he, he seemed to be kind of a wealthy man, he owned like a lot of property and land, and he had these. So we went and we sat down there, and it was really difficult to kind of gain an audience with this particular individual. He was very powerful, he was very politically involved, and you know, so he was kind of hard to get to, hard to get access to. And finally we were able to kind of get some access to him. And he was actually staying at that time kind of on his ranch, if you will, on his farm, his plantation. So we went to go visit him over there, and they asked us to have a seat. And typically like it was known, it was expected, like he'll give you 10 minutes tops. He comes out, you basically say what you want, and then he's busy, he's got to go. So he comes out. We say salam, salam. You know, he really does. It doesn't. This is uh, the the sheikh I'm talking about. is a, is a huge scholar. He's a remarkable scholar. He's very well known. But it doesn't really register with him that he's anybody or somebody or whatever. He just kind of comes out. Salam, come, salam, come. Yes, how can I help you? And while we were sitting there waiting, you know, he was just kind of looking around, looking around the ranch, just kind of scoping out the territory. And when he comes and sits down, then he kind of says. Hey, I noticed your stables over there. So you got horses? And he goes, Yeah, I got horses. And he starts to kind of talk to him. He said, like, "What kind of horses do you got?" And he's like, "You know, I figures like I don't know if this guy really knows what he's talking about." So he kind of tells him a little bit. I got these kind of horses, he's expecting he's just going to, you know, especially he sees kind of like somebody who looks a little more moldy. and he just figures like, "Why? Is it, what's this guy going to know about?" It's like it's like talking to it's like talking about it's like talking to me about cars. But little do you know that I drive a Camaro, right? So it's it's like it's like trying to talk to me about cars. Somebody's gonna be like, "Oh, really? Okay, I'm gonna talk to the sheikh about cars." Like, yeah, this is gonna be fun. So he kind of mentions a little something about his horses, and the sheikh starts like talking to him about all these different types of lineages of horses, and uh, types of horses, and what region they're from, and what breed they are, and how big their build is versus how fast their speed is. And he starts like going into it, like scientifically. You know, uh, I mean this is Irving, like when you guys talk about computers and technology, you know, the conversation like it sounds like a foreign language. I don't even understand what you're talking about. So it's kind of like that conversation. I had no idea what they were talking about. I'm from Texas, and if anybody should have known horses, it was me. But I didn't even know what they were talking about. And literally, he spoke to him for about we were there for about two hours. We were sitting in that one place for about two hours. About 30 minutes into the conversation, he calls one of the, well, you know, one of the workers. Um, and he calls him and uh, the maid or someone, and he says, oh, bring some tea. And they bring some tea. And after another 30 minutes, he says, oh, bring some juice. And they bring some juice. And at the end of that two-hour conversation, he's like, come on in, have lunch with me. You guys probably haven't eaten anything. You've been here for two hours. Come have lunch with me. He actually invited us into his house. And then we were able to actually talk to him. And he actually accommodated, you know, some of the requests that we came to make of him. So it was remarkable. So but, when I was sitting there for two hours, and I was still a youngin at that point, I would understand now what the shaykh was doing, but I was a youngin at that point, you know, a student of knowledge, knowledge, knowledge. You know? So I'm sitting there thinking, this is a shaykh who's an ocean of ilm, and he's sitting here talking about something like the dunya, like horses. "Astaghfirullah, Astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. You know, I took out my tasbih and started doing istighfar, you know? Talking about the dunya, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, right? And I, I'm just sitting there thinking two hours, you talk about horses like, what, what, what kind of da'wah is this? Only to realize that after two hours, this man who was known to be confrontational, he was known to have a dislike for religious people. He hated religious people. That's not an exaggeration of the truth. He invites us into his home, breaks bread with us, introduces us to his children, his family. We actually ended up praying inside of his home, the Sheikh led the prayer. He prayed behind the Sheikh. We all made Jama'ah. And then finally, at the end of it, he accommodates our request and actually came out to one of the Sheikh's programs after that. So this is wisdom. This is da'wah. Ila rabbika with wisdom and with a beautiful reminder. A helpful, beautiful reminder for people. Helpful, wholesome, beneficial for them. Not talking down to them. Not yelling at them, not preaching down to them, but lifting them up by means of your beautiful words and your wisdom, and that's what we see with Muhammad Rasulullah Sallallahu This is Muhammad Rasulullah Sallallahu I, I, I can't. If I kept repeating that, it still wouldn't get the point across. Muhammad Rasulullah Sallallahu I mean, think about how sacred, like his is 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 his, his his existence is. How blessed his being is. How valuable his time is. How beneficial every second of his life is. And he spends the afternoon wrestling a man. This is what you call wisdom. And this is from that period of da'wah. So we see that the Prophet ﷺ, after 10 years of preaching, 10 years of preaching, and the society is still pitted against them. The city is still at his throat. He hasn't lost any of his motivation. He's just as inspired as he was on day one. Just as driven and motivated and, and convinced of the truth of his message. And look at the resourcefulness, the wisdom, and the beauty of the way that he communicates this message. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the ability to follow in the footsteps of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all that same conviction, that motivation, and that wisdom in the way that we preach and teach the religion of Islam. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanakallah wa bihamdik, na shahadu wa la ilaha illa anta, nasaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Jazakumullah khairan wa s alaykum wa rahmatullah.